we kind of ask the question, why in the world? He, God promised that He would go to Rome. God promised He would get to testify before Caesar. And so you would think if God has promised that it would take place, that He would just uh, send Him on to Rome. But we saw that wasn't necessarily the case. The shipwreck, the storm, the throwing stuff overboard, even when they finally got to land, the ship started breaking apart, and we saw all that last week. We kind of asked the question, why all that happened? You know, if God has promised him he's, he's going to be at Rome, he promised he was going to make it through, why in the world did God let all that mess happen? I mean, why, why not just take him to Rome? I mean, why all the tragedy? Why all the heartache? Why all the... Um, all the stuff that went on. Well, of course, we answered it a little bit last week when we talked about Paul being a witness there on the boat. And, you know, we talked about who, <laughs> what he was and what he did. But we're going to find the answer as we start chapter 28. I probably am just going to go through the first 15 verses, do the rest next week, and then finish up with final thoughts and acts before we move on. Um, but so we pick up the story where Paul is shipwrecked in Acts 28. By the way, before I forget, we're going to have our Sunday school thing Friday night at our house. What time? 6.30. It's going to be, it's not going to be cold, but it's going to be a little chilly, so we're going to have chili. Chili and soup and finger foods, whatever you want to bring, bring it. You don't have to, we don't have to have a list or anything like that. I'm not going to be texting and reminding, so I'm telling you right now. So just come and bring whatever you want. We'll have enough chili for everybody. Bring some finger foods. Uh, we'll play some games. I got the PlayStation VR. We can play with that. Yeah, so it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Okay. Um, shipwrecked. So it says in verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-eight, verse one. We find out where he's at is Malta. It says, And when they were escaped, when they got through with the shipwreck, then they knew that the island was called Melita, which is Malta. And that island is on the... It's going to be on the southwest corner of Sicily. So, not this Sicily, but the real Sicily. Uh, So, you got Italy right here. All right, Italy is the boot that's facing this way. You know, and you get the boot. Sicily is a big island right here off the coast of Italy. Malta is a little island right to the to the south southwest of, of that island. So they're almost where they need to be. They've shipwrecked on this island, and this is uh, this is where they're at. It says they run into some natives. It says, and the barbarous people. The the word there is barbaroi. It's where we get the word barbarian. Uh, it's talking about the natives. They showed us no little kindness. They showed us much kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. Now, first thing you need to know before we start, when it says the barbarians, the the natives, you, you don't need to think about, you know, dudes running around with bone in their nose and, and stuff like that. They were basically civilized people. Uh, we're going to see that as we work through it. Uh, but... They uh, they called uh, the Greeks called anybody barbarians who didn't speak Greek or read Greek or have Greek culture, and so pretty much anybody who wasn't a Greek cultured person was a barbarian, whether it be a 
Frank or a Goth or a Gaul or a whatever, whatever they called them. They were all barbarians. And so these people in Malta, we're going to see he's going to go to uh, this guy named Publius's place. And, you know, it's nice and it's all good. So these guys were not necessarily, I mean, it's possible, but uh, the way that the text is phrased throughout this beginning of this chapter, these guys weren't like Indians. You know, they weren't like grass skirt island natives, you know, stuff like that. They were civilized folks. They could speak and, you know, talk the, you know, they were they were able to communicate with it, with each other and all that kind of stuff. And so it wasn't like, you know, they were lost in the jungle and they <laughs> ran into some lost tribe somewhere. They were just shipwrecked on this island and the people that were there at the island, the indigenous people, they were kind to them. They, they, uh, you know, they built them a fire, and you could tell it's still raining. It said because of the rain and the cold. You can imagine what, I mean, it had to have been a pretty big fire. How many people was on the boat? You remember? 276 people on the boat. So uh, it had been a pretty big fire. If everybody can get around it, 276 people. And so they built them a fire. It was still raining. You can imagine they ended up having to, if you weren't here last week, they ended up having to swim to shore because of the shipwreck. And so it's raining. It's cold. It's wet. They're soaked. They're exhausted. Uh, the day before this, uh, when they actually shipwrecked, they... Uh, hadn't eaten for weeks and so you can imagine what kind of shape these people were in they were probably tired exhausted cold wet damp just ready you know for any kind of any kind of uh, relief from all this that was going on the the natives there they built them a fire and it said they were kind to them they showed them kindness and so what's going to happen here, what we're going to see is that the power of God, the ministry of God, the gospel of God is going to go forth at Malta. It's going to go forth in Paul. Uh, we're going to see that they're a, little, they're a little backwards in their beliefs about who God is or the gods they would believe in. And they're a little backwards in their beliefs about how, um, how mankind interacts with, with the gods. So here's the, pretty much the answer to our question. Why did God, instead of just letting Paul go to Rome, why did God allow shipwreck and tragedy and the boat to break up and to get lost at sea and to go through all of this stuff? Yeah. Otherwise, he would have went straight to Rome and the Maltese people or whatever would have never heard the gospel, never met Paul, never seen uh, the guy that we're going to see Publius's. His dad is going to die uh, if it were not for Paul. And, and so God had a purpose. And now he probably had lots of other purposes that, you know, it, only God knows those things. But Paul was a person who, wherever he was... He was going to be preaching the gospel. He could have sat on the beach and said, I just cannot believe that I have had to go through all this. I mean, have I not gone through enough? Have I been beaten? I've been thrown out of cities. I've been put in jail and all these things. And now, God, finally, I was raised up for such a time as this to go and preach before Caesar. And then now I've got to go through a shipwreck and I'm sitting here on the beach wet and cold and, and all of these things. We're going to see that he takes the opportunity to minister there in Malta. Wherever he's at, he knows that God has brought him to that place so that he could be a witness, so that he could minister right where he was at. And so often we don't do that, do we? 
you know when something bad happens or when you feel tired you know when when things are going on it's like i'm just tired i don't feel like being a witness right now i mean i i did my bit earlier today you know i i i've done what i was supposed to do already so i'm just gonna relax and take some time for me you see paul paul doesn't do that he's a man he's not superhuman he is just like he is just like you and i and so he gets tired he's weary we've seen him we've seen him be frustrated we've seen him do all kind of things that we also fall into but he is still here uh, even here on the island of malta after all of this ordeal he is still a witness for christ he is still uh, he's still being who god called him to be now look what first thing you see him doing okay well, what do you expect you expect the the scene is all these guys sitting around a the fire they're tired they're exhausted they're weary they're trying to stay warm it's cold it's raining all these things going on and what's paul doing he says and when paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire Paul is a guy who is still working. He's still, I mean, he's not one of these guys that said, you know, I'm Paul, I'm Apostle Paul. And I ain't be gathering no sticks. You know, all you soldiers, you you know, I, I, it, really, I'm the one who told you we was all going to make it. You know, I'm the one who God has been talking through and God said not to worry because we're going to all survive. And I'm the one who has kept y'all alive. I, I've been doing a lot this whole trip here. And so, you know what? I'm going to take it easy. Y'all go get some wood for the fire and put it on there. And more than likely, the natives were the ones bringing the wood and doing the fire and everything. But here you see the first mention of Paul on the island of Malta after the shipwreck. He's gathering sticks for the fire for these people. He's, he's working. He's serving all the time. He is understanding that his role is to be a servant for Christ all the time. And it says, as he laid them on the fire, they came a viper out of the heat. What that means is... What it's saying is he threw a bundle of sticks on the fire. The heat drove the viper out of this bundle of sticks. He's carrying a bundle of sticks with a snake in it. And when he threw it on the fire, it came out and it says and it fastened on his hand. It didn't just didn't just bite him. It fastened on him. Have any of any y'all ever been snake bit? Anybody bit by a snake? Did it stick on you or just bite you and leave? Bitch, what'd you do? Play with it? <laughs> huh? Stepped on it bit you three times on the foot, whatever. Was it poisonous? Don't get... I mean, did you go to the hospital or anything? You just went on... Okay, yeah. I've been bit once when I was a kid, but it wasn't wasn't a poisonous snake. It was just a snake snake. snake. Before they got Really? Yeah. There's a lot of them around here. A lot of poisonous snakes around here. Now, it raises a question... It fastened onto his hand. So this is uh, this snake fastened onto his hand. It doesn't let go, and it doesn't let go. Uh, that would freak me out. I don't like snakes. I was thinking when I read that. Ooh, there's power in the blood. <laughs> you did what? Fought a snake. Like a snake. Like with a shovel trying to chop his head off, and him chasing me around the deck. That would be me. He's chasing you around the deck. Listen, my kids are in the house on their electronic. Hear me after screaming for somebody to bring me something. <laughs> I finally, somebody finally came out. And I got a shot for 30 minutes in the sun. Do you hear me? Stand over eight. Girl, I hear you. Running, I was falling. Oh no. Terrible. And then we got in the house. I cut his head off. I got in the house and we looked out. Ten minutes later, here come another crawl right behind me. Oh. Uh, Y'all need some cats. Oh, no, it's, it's real 
the dogs pretty much keep the snakes out of the yard. I, I saw one when I was cutting the grass not too long ago. Anyway, the snake fastened on his hand. What what does Paul do? He he freaks out. No, he doesn't freak out. He just shakes it off into the fire. Shakes it off into the fire. And so yeah, we ain't got that far yet. But, I mean, for me, I'm thinking, okay, is it, when's this going in? I mean, can I not have just a moment of peace? Can I not just have a moment where something crazy is not happening to me? I mean, I'm gathering sticks. I'm doing what you've called me to do. At no point in this sea journey or this shipwreck do we see Paul doing what we would think would be like overreacting or not following God's word, not, you know, not being a faithful witness. There's a no time where we, we see him doing anything like that. And so, I mean, I mean, come on. I've spent 25 years getting beat in prison and all that. Now I'm going to Rome probably to be executed. We don't know for sure yet. And I can't even get there because of shipwreck and storm and all these guys looking to me and depending on me and I'm having to carry the weight of all this all deal. And then they all just plop down and do nothing sitting around the fire while I'm gathering sticks and I'm the one going to get bit by a snake? Really? I mean, can you imagine? But he shakes it. It's almost like it's almost like he doesn't say a word. He just shakes it off on the fire. It says, and he fastened his hands. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast... The 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 word is uh, echidna is the is the word of uh, the, the viper is the word that's used and it's usually for poisonous snakes uh, hung on his hand they said among themselves no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea yet vengeance suffereth not to live and he shook the beast off in the fire and felt no harm it's almost like all right picture the scene. Paul, the natives are watching. They're all around, and the, all the ship, the shipmates are around the fire. And Paul's putting the sticks on the fire, and the snake comes out and fastens to his hand. And Paul looks at the snake, and all the natives are like, "Ooh, look, it's a bad dude right there." And Paul, it's almost like he doesn't even notice what they're saying. He's just like, and he goes and sits down, and you know, does what. It's almost like it's no big deal. Now. What they were, what they were saying. Why would they think that he's a murderer if a snake bit him? They thought he was possessed. Possessed. It's possible. They're probably superstitious, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he come through in the shipwreck, and now he's going to get what's due him because a poisonous viper going to get him now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing that. First of all, it was amazing that he had survived. It's amazing he survived the shipwreck. Like they were probably all sitting around going, "Wow, I can't believe most people wouldn't survive." Remember the the crewmen wanted to sneak off the boat last time, right? Because they knew how dangerous it was. So it was amazing they survived. And then it's almost like the natives were thinking, "Man, that dude got some bad luck." You know, I mean, can you? It has to be the gods, you know, in their in their mind. I mean, because. What kind of luck would this guy have to survive all this and then die from a snake bite? You know, and so the vengeance there, the word vengeance, it's talking about, it was a Greek god named uh, named Dike. It's, uh, it's where we get, um, 
Dikaiosune is the word for righteousness, but the, this was the god of goddess of justice. <clears throat> she was one of one of uh, Zeus, Jupiter's daughters, and what she did was she brought justice when when justice failed and people didn't get what they deserved. She was right there, you know, to uh, to administer justice. And they thought uh, this god, vengeance, is called here, but justice is her was her name. That this goddess um, decided that hey, you know, Paul. He's not going to get away with whatever it is that he's done. They're thinking that he was a murderer. And so this snake comes out and bites him. And they're pretty much assuming he's going to die. I mean, nobody, nobody's going to get bit by a viper like this and survive. Now, there's some debate because today in Malta there aren't any poisonous snakes. And so some people say, well, this probably couldn't have happened or lots of explanations. But uh, the one I mean, it's really not that far fetched because today in Ireland, there are no poisonous snakes either. And we know that there were uh, some time ago. And so this snake, the natives realized was a poisonous snake. They realized that this uh, a snake, a bite from this snake is going to uh, kill whoever bites it. But look what happens. Absolutely nothing. It says he felt no harm. And then verse 6 says, Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, how mixed up are the natives in their theology? Right. See, at first they said, wait. Right. They, at first they say he's got to be an evil murderer because, like, snakes don't bite good people, I guess. I don't know. And then when nothing happens to him, he's like, well, he's not a murderer. He's a god. You know, he's a, he must be a god because no human can survive this snake. Now, it seems pretty ridiculous, doesn't it, to think like that. But the reality is, and you're going to laugh when I say this, is we think like that all the time. We think like that all the time. How many times do you ever run across somebody that, I don't know, gone through a tragedy, going through something really, really bad? And you would never say it, and you know it's not true, but there's something down deep that says, they must have did something bad to deserve that. Don't we think like that? We do, and if you say you don't, you lie. We know it's not true. Well, I'm not saying that you believe that, like, oh, they must have done something bad. But deep down inside, deep down inside, it makes you want to do better so that don't happen to you, right? Yeah. Makes you want to, makes you want to, well, I need to be careful and watch what I say and do and try to be good so that don't happen to me. It makes us think that way. That's the way, that's the way normal humans think. Fallen humans think outside of the gospel, outside of knowing who God is. The reality is, and you can see this throughout Paul's life, Paul was, uh, we'll say, we'll say he was a good man, not in the sense that he never sinned or that he was righteous or anything outside of Christ, but uh, compared to me, compared to y'all, Paul was a pretty, pretty powerful servant of God. He was an apostle. He was one who lived, uh, he was one who, whose life is one that we should model after. Paul even said himself, follow me as I follow, as I follow Christ. And so, um, and his life stunk. I mean, if you take it from a human worldly perspective, he was beaten 
every other day he was brought before the courts, thrown in jail, stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. I mean, his whole life considered consisted of scars and tribulation and trials and 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 people hating him and assassination attempts and death and destruction always right there before him. Uh, and so by his by his by worldly standard, you couldn't say Paul's life was kind of bad. I mean, he wouldn't say that, but by worldly standard, Paul went through a whole lot more than any of us in here have gone through. Paul went through all kind of things, and he was an apostle of Christ. And so it doesn't make sense for us to say, for us to think, you know, the reality is that it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how good you do. Bad things happen to good people sometimes. And I say good people understanding that the Bible said there's no one good, but sometimes tragedies happen. Sometimes suffering comes. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen, fallen, we're all, we are fallen beings. And so it's going to happen. It's going to happen. These natives <clears throat> were living from a completely different worldview than the truth. They were, they believed that, you know, if something bad happened to you, you must be a bad person. You must have done some crime that brings about justice. Now, what's missing from that worldview? Grace. There's no such thing as grace in that worldview. In that worldview, if you get bit by a snake, you've got to be a murderer. You've got to have done... Justice will not allow you to survive. And that's a reality except for grace. Except for God's grace. Now, you can really see how mixed up they were when nothing happened to him. Immediately, they didn't think, well, you know, maybe he's not such a bad guy. Maybe, maybe he's not a murderer. Maybe this, you know, maybe this just happens to sometimes. And, you know, what? That, that's not what they thought. Immediately, it can't be nothing else. He's got to be a God. He's got to be God. He's more than human. He's a, so what you see is their worldview was, it was one that was, it was one that we fall into all the time. Something bad happens, you must have deserved it. And if something if something good happens, you must be a, you must be a good person. You must have you know you must have been living right. You know you wouldn't say they were God, but you see the you see the worldview. And it's easy to fall into that. It's easy to fall into that. I can't tell you how many people have asked me the question, "What did I do to deserve this?" As they're in the hospital or whatever, what did I do? It's not fair. It's not fair that I have to go through this and somebody and somebody else, you know, who is uh, way worse than me. That's what they would say. Way worse than me get to live, and I and I'm not able to. You know, that's not the way the world works. Sorry, it's just not. We live in a fallen world, and the only reason, and I'll say this, I'm probably getting off subject, but the only reason you woke up this morning. And you don't have tragedy or trial or something awful happen to you is because God has had mercy on you. He has had grace on you. Because if you got what you deserved, you would not be allowed to enjoy anything, not even a glass of water. You wouldn't. At every moment, you've probably heard me say this before, at every moment of every day, you and I, for our sin, we deserve condemnation, <coughs> we deserve judgment, we deserve God's wrath. That means at this moment, the next moment, the next moment, as your watch is clicking by, every moment that passes, we deserve wrath, judgment, and death because of our sin. But every second that clicks by and we don't receive that, the only thing that can be attributed to is God's grace and His mercy. 
He is showing grace. So the question really, whenever somebody asks me the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the wrong question. The question that I, I don't have any problem answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But the question I can't answer, the question that people should be asking is why do good things happen to anybody at all? Why has God allowed me to live these how many ever years without something tragic happening? Why has God allowed me to wake up this morning and to be relatively healthy? Why has he allowed me to wake up and have my family around me? Why has he allowed me to wake up and enjoy so far this day? Because you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. You still don't deserve it. Even in Christ, you don't deserve it. The only reason you have it is because you are in Christ. Does that make sense? And so the worldview that these natives have is really not that far-fetched from the worldview that most people walk around in the world thinking. You know, if, you're, if bad happens, you must be being punished for something. It's possible, but not always. And if good happens, everything must be rocking right along. It's possible, but it's not a given. Sometimes, sometimes, even in Job, even in Psalms, they say, you know, it just seems like the wicked are prospering. And it seems like the righteous are being are being beaten down. And God is always using that. Is there any questions? Any of all that makes sense? Mm-hmm. No comments? Cries of outrage? What you said about with Paul before he was saved, when he was doing what he thought was God's work and killing people, he was high among the people. He had good life. And then when he was saved, all this tragedy started happening. Yeah. Yeah, he could have been really comfortable if he'd have just kept going like he was going. But instead, he got a life of pain and torment. And he lists it in Corinthians. said they're forsaken, but not destroyed, cast down, cast down but not destroyed, abandoned but not forsaken. I mean, he just goes through at all times, bearing the, the sufferings of Christ in his body. He lived a life of suffering. Go ahead. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. But if we're thinking from a biblical worldview, I've said that before. I say that. I say it all the time. Why do bad things happen to good people? I say it all the time. But if we're thinking, if, if, if you know your Bible, you know from a biblical worldview, really there are no good people. I mean, there are none. The Bible says no one righteous. Not even one. Not a single one. And so the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is really not a logical question to ask because there are no good people. The question we need to ask is, why does anything good happen to anybody at all, ever? And that's a question. We get spoiled. That's the thing. And this is so not where I'm supposed to be going, but it's worth talking about. We are. We get spoiled. We get spoiled to nothing bad happening. Because... If you're honest, for the most part, even if you had something awful happen in your life, the majority of the days that you've lived, you didn't have something tragic and awful. The majority of the days of your life, you have lived comfortably, blessed, 
you know, nothing really bad happened. Maybe you got some worries. Maybe you got some things that you're fighting with. But for the most part, tragedy hasn't struck. I mean, once in a while it does. And what happens? When tragedy does strike, when something bad does happen, when we realize that the, the fall is real and, and there's consequences to living in this fallen world, what do we do? How could you do this to me, God? It's not fair. It's not fair. Why, how, why is this happening to me? How does this go on? And so what, we, what happens is we're spoiled. We're spoiled just like a child would be. And I'm not saying just y'all. I'm saying me as well. We're spoiled just like a child would be because most of the days nothing bad does happen. And so we start to think, you know what? I'm owed. I'm owed good. I'm owed comfort and pleasure and ease and all those things. Have you all, all heard the story about me and the four-year-old in the little store thinking my mom was supposed to buy me a buy me a deal or whatever? Y'all heard that story? No? Well, when I was, just a quick story and then we got to move on because I'm not supposed to be talking about this. Anyway, this is not part of the deal, but it's worth talking about. When I was, I, I don't remember none of this. This is a story that my mom tells. Uh, when I was four years old, we lived across the street from a department store and it was kind of like Fred's or something like that. And every day from the time I was zero in a stroller to the time I was four years old, we she took me across the street every single day. It was like a little thing that we did every day. Like I said, I don't remember none of this. But uh, she, she would take me across the street and she'd buy me some little toy, candy, you know, something, whatever. It was like the outing. You know, we look, we look forward to going to cross the street to the store, buy the deal. And so at four years old, she tells the story. Uh, we, you know, whatever for whatever reason, maybe I was getting too spoiled. Maybe I was, you know, I know y'all, it's probably hard for y'all to believe me misbehaving in any way, shape, or form. But whatever reason, she says, I'm not buying you any toy today. I'm not buying you anything. We're going to go over there. i got to get some things. But we're not buying any candy, any toy, any knickknack any nothing okay and so we get in the store and of course you can imagine what happened I see something that I want I see something whatever it was and she refuses to buy it she says that I followed her around the store for the next hour screaming how could you do this to your only son what kind of mother are you what kind of mother I mean I don't remember but she said it was not very funny while it was happening and you can see, oh, I don't do that now. How could you say that? I'm your husband. How could you say No. And so, but you see the point. For me, life consisted of every single day going to this little store, getting a little toy. That was what life is. I didn't know any other way of life. That was, for me, at four years old... I thought that's what life is. Everybody goes to the store every day and everybody gets them a little toy. That's life. And you and I know that that's not life. And I wasn't owed anything. She took it upon herself out of her love and her grace, her mercy and her just compassion for me. Yeah, I want to buy him a little something. I want to treat him, whatever. She did those things. And I started to think that I was owed I was owed something. And when she, which was well within her right to say, you know what? I, I don't think that's good for you. I'm going to pull that back just a little bit. What happened? How could you do this to me? We do the same thing with God. Every day we get up and everything's fine, healthy, sun shining, get to go to work, get to enjoy our families, get to enjoy just the basic things of life. And when something in the fallen world comes, tragedy comes, something happens, what's the first thing we do? 
We're the four-year-old child chasing mama down going, how could you do this to me? When the reality is we should have been thanking him all those days for being gracious and merciful because he didn't owe us anything. And so these these natives here, these these barbarians they would have called, um, they have a really weird worldview. And it's not that weird because a lot of us think that way. So Paul didn't die. He went right on. They said he was a god. And now we're going to get introduced to the chief, the governor of the, of the island of Malta. It says in the same, verse 7 says, In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. So not only were they comforted by the islanders that were there, but they were comforted by this, this chief man, the governor, for lack of a better way to call it. His name was uh, Publius. Incidentally, Go back to the, the viper just for a minute. I forgot to tell you. It really shouldn't be a shock that the viper didn't kill him. Because Jesus, didn't Jesus in Luke 10, Luke 10 say, uh, you know, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and all those things? Didn't in Mark 16, didn't he say, you know, you'd be able to, snake would bite you and it wouldn't hurt you and drink poison and all those things. All that came to pass in Paul's life. All that came to pass in the book of Acts. And so he meets this guy, Publius. Publius takes him in. Um, he uh, Publius is a Greek name, but it was it was real. It was usual in those days for I've already told you about Herod Agrippa and the Romans putting when they conquered the people, they would put indigenous rulers over them just to kind of keep the peace. The people would know them. They would kind of so it's not out of bounds to say that this guy was an islander. The Romans just kind of stuck him in the lead role and he took on a Greek name. It's possible. We don't know for sure. The guy could have been a Roman that was sent there. We, we just don't know anything about Publius. But he's he's there. He's the, he's the head guy. They take him in and it says, and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. That's dysentery. The word is dysentery. Y'all know what dysentery is? Do I need to explain dysentery? Okay. Alright. To whom Paul entered in, Paul came in to see him and he prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and healed him. You see all those verbs that Paul did? He came into him. He came in to see him. He came to visit him. He prayed for him, laid his hands upon him, and healed him. Now, imagine what would happen to Publius's dad if Paul wasn't shipwrecked at the island of Malta, but went straight to Rome. In those days, dysentery and fever was nothing to play with. It was something that especially young people and elderly people died of. You got it, you, you're pretty much going to die unless some miracle happened because they didn't have like antibiotics and things like, like, like we have. And so it was very serious. He was pretty much on his deathbed. Paul comes in and heals him. Paul comes in and heals him. Now, can you imagine, we're not told here, but can you imagine Paul healing somebody and not telling them about Jesus and the gospel. Based on what we know from Paul, we've seen his life all the way from Acts chapter, you know, Acts chapter 9 really, but all the way from Acts chapter 13 on to Acts chapter 28. From everything you know about Paul, everything you know about his ministry, everything you know about his ways, do you imagine that he would ever heal somebody and never tell them about Jesus? I, I can't bring myself to believe it. But when Publius's dad is healed, look what happens all of a sudden. It says, so when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. And it says, 
they all, when they, when they came, when they heard that Publius's dad got healed, they all brought their own sick and Paul healed them by the power of Christ. And so what's going on here? You see, Paul is, Paul is shipwrecked. He's on his way to Rome. He's, on it. he's already been told by God that he's going to stand before Caesar. He's going to stand and bring the gospel before Caesar to Rome. And he's going to do that. But here he's shipwrecked. And this is not for him. This is not just a sidetrack. This is not just, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be in Rome. But while I'm here, I'm just going to relax because I know I'm going to have to hang here for a little while. I'm going to get to Rome when I get there. He is actively involved in ministry here. You can imagine that as these people are bringing people to be healed, their diseases healed, that the gospel is also being preached. And so Paul comes shipwrecked to the island of Malta. He comes there and, and the gospel goes forth in power. The gospel goes forth in power. Not just he, he comes preaching the gospel. He comes preaching Christ. He comes preaching uh, the way of salvation. But he also comes demonstrating the power of Christ by healing all these sick folks. Now, if you have the worldview that these natives have, Remember, the snake bit him. Oh, he's a murderer. He didn't die. Oh, he's a god. If you have this worldview, what are all these healings going to do for you? Just confirm their belief. They're going to be like, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is God. This is God moving. And Paul, of course, is preaching not the gods, but the one true God who's been revealed to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again from the dead. The gospel, I mean, it doesn't say, Luke is really talking to us, this whole section here from chapter 27 on to the end of chapter 28, basically chronicling the journey to Rome. So that's Luke's focus when he's writing these things. So he's kind of he's kind of hitting and missing, skipping over a lot of things, but you can imagine, you can fill in the blanks just based on Paul's life. He is preaching the gospel. There's probably people there that accept it, receive it, become Christians. There's probably people there that reject it just like everywhere else Paul's gone. Uh, there's people that come to know him. But the point is that the the gospel has come full circle from, you know, from at the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, when we started, man, it's been, how long has it been? It's probably been close to a year since we started Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other ends of the world. From the perspective of people living in Jerusalem, this right here was the other ends of the world. The Roman Empire, the, he's going to get to the city of Rome. We'll get to it next week when we see the end of this chapter. But he, he has gone full circle to the other ends of the world. And when he plants himself in Rome, it's going to say people come from all over the empire to hear him, to speak with him. He sits in jail two years waiting on Caesar. And so Publius's dad is healed. People bring... Uh, they're, they're sick folks so that Paul would heal them. You can imagine the gospels going forth. Let me just finish and then we'll go. It says, who also honored us with many honors. The people, of course, that were, were, uh, had their sick ones healed. The people of the island, they honored them. This, this shows me that they were conducive to the gospel. They were conducive to the mission that Paul was on. It says, and when we departed, we, they, uh, they laded us with such things as were necessary. They provided for their mission. And after three months, they stayed in Malta three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the Isle. They spent the winter there in Malta, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. You know who Castor and Pollux are, anybody? Nobody? Not up on the Greek mythology, are we? 
what uh, any of y'all do do us like what's your astrological sign mine's cancer yeah. Gemini Gemini that's who Castor and Pollux are they're the the two gods they were they were um, they were they were uh, twins that were daughters of Jupiter you know in mythology but they they were the gods that made up Gemini the Gemini twins and they were uh, they were seafaring they were who sailors prayed to for safe voyage you know that, that kind of thing and so it's really ironic I don't know why Luke includes this he doesn't tell us what difference this makes but I just find it kind of ironic that God brought them through the shipwreck God brought them through the storm God brought them through the and then they get on a boat that's got these two these two seafaring safety gods on the front of it as if that's going to really mean anything and so they get in this boat and it says where am i at 12 12 and they landed at syracuse which is on the island of sicily so they went from malta to sicily landed at the island and the island of sicily the port of syracuse uh, I lost my place again. And they tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. That's uh, uh, another port. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came next day to Putioli. Putioli. Anybody, am I saying that right? Larry, come on, am I saying that right? Sure. Putioli. Anyway, that's a port city in Italy. They've reached their destination. They are 60 miles from Rome. They're, he's finally at Italy, and the next, the next section we get to next week is going to be him actually in Rome. And so they have finally come to Italy, and it says, look what it says in 1415, then we'll go. It says, where we found brethren. Who is that? Who is brethren? Church, yeah, the Christians. They found Christians. They have gone through all of this. Paul left Caesarea, which was all the way over by Jerusalem, you know, he went through all of this journey up through Asia Minor, around Cyprus, blown by the storm across over to Malta, across the, the Mediterranean, gets, gets into Malta, witnesses there, goes to Syracuse in Sicily, then up to Puteoli, which is, I probably wouldn't name my town that, but <laughs> reaches there, and what does he find? Christians. The church has, has spread so that there are believers already. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up and he gave his speech, and he gave his sermon at uh, Pentecost, there were people, Jews from Rome there. It's got a list of cities. There was Jews from Asia, from Bithynia, from Cappadocia, from Galatia, from Rome. No doubt some of those went back to Rome and began this. They only know, nobody knows Paul in Rome other than by the letter he has written. He wrote a letter to the Romans from Corinth as he was in Corinth. And so they know him by letter. But when he comes there, he finds in Putioli, this town, he finds brethren. And were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum, which is on the Appian Way, and the three taverns whom, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. This is about 30, 40, 60 miles right in there from Rome. These people who didn't know Paul, except by letter, they came out of the city to meet him and greet him and it encouraged him. Through all that he's been through, here it is, encouraged by the church. God will always put people that are going to encourage you around. Okay, is there any questions before we go? Remember, Friday's the Sunday school deal. You won't be receiving no text. 
We're gonna do chili and finger foods. Bring whatever you want. Doesn't matter. We're gonna have enough. We're gonna play games, whatever. Friday night, okay? Soups. Soups, Soup's fine. Okay. Good. Anything else? Don't forget to bring sugar for the Christmas baskets. Sugar for the Christmas baskets. That's